You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated. Good to see you all this morning. When, when preachers preach, uh, including this one, our, our aim is to ask God to convict and, and comfort. Convict because we all need recalibration on how we are to live our lives. But also comfort because we all need reminders, at least weekly, that God is with us, that God is, is for us, that God is, is on our side. And so often our, our aim is to convict and, and to comfort. Well, today I just want to, to preach one thing, and that's to comfort. You were really nervous then because you thought I was about to say convict, but instead it's, it's to comfort. I pray that today I would preach to such comfort that there would be some weary hearts that would be sustained today. Some tired disciples would be encouraged today, would be comforted today. Some discouraged saints would find comfort. Uh, Probably no surprise to you at all. Let's go to the eighth chapter of Romans together. Romans chapter eight. We've been there the last several weeks, just kind of walking verse by verse through this mighty chapter of the New Testament. Romans chapter eight. Uh, Let's get there together. And let me just remind you of a few of the things that we have studied. Remember, the the hero of Romans chapter 8 is the Holy Spirit. So let's see what the Holy Spirit has been doing, what he has been accomplishing on our behalf as we have walked through Romans chapter 8 to see what he has done for the daughters and the sons of God. So first of all, we see that the Holy Spirit gives us no condemnation status. That was back in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus the hero of Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit, frees us from sin and death. That's the second thing that we learn. We see that in, in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of the, of the spirit, uh, set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The hero of Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit, also enables us to fulfill the law. The Holy Spirit gives us that power, gives us the freedom, actually, to fulfill the law. In verse 8, it says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but who walk according to the spirit. The Holy Spirit also changes our nature, changes our very nature. This is what the Holy Spirit has done in the life of the believer. We saw that in verse 10. If you just want to let your eyes go down there to to verse 10. Uh, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And so the Holy Spirit has changed our our very nature. Uh, Fifthly, the the Holy Spirit has empowered us for victory over sin. The very next verse, verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so he empowers us for victory over sin sin, the sixth thing that we have seen. And Pastor Martin did such a great job preaching this two weeks ago. The Holy Spirit confirms our identity as God's children. It's the Holy Spirit who confirms our identity as the daughters of God, the sons of God. We see that in verse 15 and in verse 16, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery just to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and ladies as daughters by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, verse 16, the spirit himself, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The seventh thing that we saw just last Sunday is that the Holy Spirit guarantees our eternal glory. 
Uh, I won't read all those verses or just one week removed from them, but it was uh, verse 18 through 25 reminds us, reminds us of, of where we're headed. It guarantees our future glory, our eternal glory. Now just look at those seven verbs very quickly. The Holy Spirit gives, frees, enables, changes, empowers, confirms, and guarantees. Romans chapter 8 just shouts out the Holy Spirit's role in our salvation and the permanency of that salvation and the colossal life we now have in Christ Jesus. You see, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all involved in your salvation, Christian. Uh, We so often say that it is Jesus who has saved me, and while that is very true, it's not less than that, but it is more than that. It's the Father and the Son and the Spirit all involved in your salvation. It's the Father, the Son, the Spirit all involved in holding your salvation, in holding you as a son or a daughter of God. I want you to see this very clearly in Scripture. So keep your finger there in Romans chapter 8 and go about 10 pages perhaps in your Bible over to the right and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 with me. Just a few pages over to the right. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Because the Father, Son, and Spirit are all involved in saving. They're all involved in securing and holding the believer. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 21 and 22 with me. Paul writing just to a different audience now, but much the same thing as he writes now to the church of Corinth. And he says in verse 21, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. It is God who has anointed us and who has also put his seal, God's seal on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So there we see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Spirit in in, in essence of our salvation, in the essence of the permanency of our salvation. It's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that holds the believer. You might want to write this down somewhere. Christians are secure because God permanently establishes us in Christ by the Spirit. So Christian, you're not just kind of floating in and out of salvation. You're just not kind of floating in and out of being held by God through Christ. You are permanently established in Christ by the Spirit. In other words, you are held by the Trinity. You are wrapped up, wrapped up, wrapped up. You're triply sealed. The Father, the Son, the Spirit has saved us through Christ, verse 21, that has given us the guarantee of the Spirit verse 22, which kind of begs the question right here at the beginning of the sermon today. Here's the the question of a lifetime, whether you're online or here today. are, Are you secure? Are you established? Bottom line, are you saved? I mean, how do you know that you're established in Christ? How do you know that you're saved in Christ? How do you know that you're secure in him? Well, here's a few diagnostic questions to ask yourself if you're wondering today, am I established in Christ? Am I secure in Christ? Am, am I saved? Here's a couple of questions to consider. Do you long to know him? Do you desire to honor God above yourselves? Is your aim to please him, to, to honor him? Those are questions that if clearly and honestly answered will give you a great Understanding of your security in Christ or your lack of security in Christ, your establishment in Christ or your lack of establishment in Christ. Both my kids growing up played uh, God's favorite sport, soccer. And so they were both soccer players as, as young kids. And I was Caleb's soccer coach for the first several years of his, of his soccer playing. 
And when you're coaching four, five, six-year-old kids, just some of you, maybe future parents out there, if you'd like to subtract five years of your life, go be a coach for little kids. If you want your blood pressure to like go, you know, just out of range completely, go ahead and coach little kids, especially in soccer, because in in four and five and six-year-old soccer, it's not really soccer, it's huddle ball. Like you have seven versus seven, and they're just all huddled around the soccer ball. And I remember very clearly on this particular day of, of coaching my son and his team that all, you know, 14 kids were huddled around this ball. And all of a sudden, out of the pack comes my son, and he actually has the soccer ball, and he's dribbling. I hadn't seen the soccer ball in about 15 minutes. The soccer ball came out of that pack, and he was dribbling. And he stopped while he was dribbling and looked at me on the sideline and gives me one of these. I was like, actually, go that way. Like, two thumbs up, you're moving in the right direction. Sometimes he would go in the wrong direction. He was actually moving toward the goal at this point. He stopped in the middle of that, wanted to make sure that I was aware, that I was being honored, if you will, as the coach and his dad, and gives me two thumbs up. Well, fast forward a few years, and now Caleb's still playing soccer, but now he's also playing flag football, upward flag football. In this particular series, the quarterback of the opposing team goes back and, and throws a pass, and Caleb steps up in front of it, intercepts it. Now, in flag football, at least in upward flag football, you cannot advance an interception. So he, he caught the ball, he put it down, and he looked to the sideline where I was. I was not coaching. He looked to the sideline. Now, he was way too cool as a 10-year-old to give him the, the two thumbs up, and so instead he gives me one of these <laughs> because he's really cool as a 10-year-old. Gave me, so I was like, yes, I... I saw the interception. Now go, you know, go back and play. It was, it was a son, listen, it was a son very aware of his father. And I know that every illustration eventually breaks down, but that was a son that was desiring to honor his father, to, to please his father, to, to know that his father was, was looking. And, and in some ways, I think that's how we know that we're established in Christ. We just long to know the father. We aim to please him. We, we aim to honor him above ourselves. Let's go back to, to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, there's, there's mention several times. In fact, that's how you know there's a theme happening in Scripture when the Holy Spirit just puts something in Scripture over and over again. And the word that's used repetitively is the word groaning. And I would submit to you today, Highland, that we're about to enter into probably the most mysterious but also the most encouraging part of Romans chapter 8 as we hear a little bit more about these, these groanings. Let me just remind you what we looked at last week. So if your Bible open, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 22 and verse 23. This is what we looked at last week, verse 22 and verse 23. For we know that the whole creation, here's our word, has been groaning together. So the mountains groaning together, the trees groaning together, the, the fields groaning together, together in the pains of childbirth, even until now. And now here comes the shift that Paul makes in verse 23. And not only is creation groaning, but we ourselves, believers, we are groaning also. Those who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. There's the hero of chapter 8. The first fruits of the Holy Spirit. We also, here's our word, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions of sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. And so we see two things groaning here in verse 22 and verse 23. Verse 22, we see creation groans. Creation is growing, groaning for our glory and groaning for its glory. It is groaning for our full adoption, groaning for its own restoration. But not only is creation groaning in verse 22, but humanity is growing. At least the daughters and the sons of God, they are groaning. Believers are groaning in verse, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, even though we have 
the, the first fruits of the Spirit, a foretaste of the feast to come, we also, we groan inwardly in our hearts and our lives as we're waiting for our full adoption. So that groan is the, the sighing of those who long for glory, those who long for heaven, those who long for God's face, those who long for home. Why is it, we looked at this last week, why is it the creation and believers, why are they, why are they groaning? What is, what is this groaning about? Well, they're groaning because everything is breaking down. They're groaning because everything is, is breaking down because it's being crushed. Humanity and creation, believers and creation, we're being crushed by the decay. That's what we see back in verse 21. Corruption is the word that ESV uses. All is breaking down because it's being crushed by decay. So everything in the world, from humanity to the natural world, it is unavoidably just falling apart, wearing down and wearing out. Your heart. It's, it's not like an electric clock. Your heart's a wind-up clock. Like there's a finite number of ticks in your heart. And the clock is winding down. Because we're all under this pressure of decay. This is why we're sighing. This is why we're longing for glory. While we're longing for home. While we're longing for God. Our hearts are ticking with an end coming. But just consider with me for a moment your circle of, of family or your circle of closest friends. Time and circumstances are just pulling that circle apart. Your closest family, your closest friendships, time and circumstances just has a way of separating us from that circle. Picking it apart, separating us, removing us from one another. You see, everything groans because everything is dying. That's why everything is longing for a new day, for a new body, creation for a new world. So creation is groaning, verse 22. Believers are groaning, verse 23. But look who else is groaning. Let's go to our main passage this morning. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 26. Likewise, what do you mean likewise? Just like creation, just like believers, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray pray for as, as we ought, but the Spirit himself, he intercedes for us, and here's our word again, with groanings too deep for words. So likewise, it begins, or your Bible translation might use the phrase there in the same way, just like creation is groaning, just like believers are groaning, so the Spirit also is groaning, but on our behalf is is praying for us groaning for us that's what the word intercede means there is pulling two separate things together interceding for us with groanings that are really just too deep for words isn't this amazing christian that when you become a follower of christ here's an unbelievable truth god is on your side when you become a follower of christ god is now for you let your eyes go down to verse 31. It's going to be one of the passages we look at in a few weeks. But it's, I think, one of the pinnacles of, of Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? And we'll discover what the these things are in a few weeks. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, I think maybe some of you, as Christians, you go through life thinking that God's just waiting for you to make a huge mistake so he can zap you. 
I don't know if we've been trained in that, or if there's some legalistic backgrounds that maybe some of us might have that we think God's just always on the hunt, looking to see if he can find you mess up so he can just completely either condemn you or disown you or make you feel miserable about yourself. That is not what Romans chapter eight, verse 31 says. It says here that he's for you that he is on your side, that he is for your good. In other words, God is mobilizing all of his resources and he has an unlimited number of resources and he's pulling all those resources together for your spiritual well-being. Wow. God is for you. And we see this way that God's spirit is interceding for you, is groaning for you. Romans chapter eight, verse 26. Let me just read again to you. Likewise, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself, not itself, himself, intercedes, pulls the two sides together, praying for us with these groanings too deep for words. Verse 26 is so profound. And let me just put all of my cards on the table. I don't fully get this. It's difficult to understand. I'm going to try my best today to preach this passage. It is profound. It is mysterious. But listen, Christian, it's rich. And it's a powerful word for God's people today. So let's begin to understand this together. Verse 26, the word groaning, when you translate that word out groaning, it means unspoken. It really translates out an oxymoron, an unheard sound. An unheard sound. So if it's making a sound, how can we... How can we hear it? It's an unheard sound. It's not a language. This is not speaking in tongues. It's it's a non-language. It's an unheard language. It's an unspoken language, if you will. But it's it's not a language that we would understand. That's why scripture says right here at the very end of verse 26, it's too deep for words. Like our vocabulary, our words could not describe how the Holy Spirit is praying for us. It can't be described. It can't be spoken. I think it can only be felt or known. So these groanings seem to be like these these divine sighs of the Holy Spirit toward God on our behalf. This unheard non-language that only God can understand that God can feel these divine sighs of interceding Holy Spirit as he prays for us to the Father. What is he praying for? That might be an interesting question to answer this morning. What is he praying for? Verse 26 tells us what he's praying for. Three things, really. Number one, our weak spots. Our weaknesses. The Holy Spirit's praying for our weaknesses. You may be asking yourself, what are my weaknesses? I'll tell you what your weaknesses are. Where are you most assaulted spiritually? Where are you most spiritually attacked? Because that's your weakness. But that's what the Holy Spirit is praying for. Praying for the weak spots in our lives, the weak places in our lives. Here's the second thing we see here that the Holy Spirit is praying for, for things that we don't know to pray for. Have you ever felt that before in prayer? I don't even know what to pray for right now. Holy Spirit knows. And he is praying for you to the Father on your behalf for things that you don't even know you should be praying for. I think the older I get the more I realize I have a longer list of things I don't know to pray for than my list of things I do pray for. The Holy Spirit's praying for things we don't even know we should be praying for. 
But you want to see the third thing? Because you have to see it in full context of what's happening here, beginning back in verse 18, going all the way to verse 30. That's a whole section on one thing, the future glory of the people of God, where we are headed. And so here's the Holy Spirit is praying for in context. He's praying for our full future glory. He is praying for our time as we move toward heaven, praying for that day that we get to see the Father and we get to see the Son and we get to see the fullness of Christ's heaven. That's the context here. In fact, I would say we would never get there if the Holy Spirit was not continually interceding for us. It is his constant prayers for us that moves us to future glory. Amazing. Incredible. Let me tell you four things today about this passage in verse 26, and we'll actually make it just to verse 27 today. Let's see four things we can learn together today about the hero of chapter eight, the Holy Spirit. Here's the first thing. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's exactly what verse 26, the first part of it says. The the word weakness is your only Greek word for the day is the word asthenia. Asthenia. And asthenia translates frailty or sickness or to be feeble. It translates fragility. There's a great word that I'm not even sure it's actually an English word, but it's a great word to understand once I say it to you. This is really the the bottom line of asthenia. It means unimpressiveness, not being impressive at all. And how much do we long in this house to look impressive or to be impressive? People will put makeup on to look impressive. Buy the nicest of clothes to try to be impressive. Go and lift weights to look impressive. See how many followers they can get on social media to to look impressive. To buy things to, to look impressive. You mean to go ahead and tell you all the truth and tell myself the truth? We're not that impressive of people. In fact, we're frail. We're weak. We're fragile. Romans 8, he's already told us we're falling apart. We are not that impressive. All of us in this house, we have weaknesses. We have sicknesses that, that we're susceptible to. When we have frailties about us, or there's, there's blind spots in all of our lives where the enemy just loves to attack. There's places and times in all of our lives in this house where we just want to give up spiritually. What is that? That's weakness. But it's right at those places that the Holy Spirit is praying. Right at your weakest place, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Right at your weakest time, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Right at your weakest fragilities, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. At your lowest spot, at your lowest place. Listen, the Holy Spirit is praying for the weakest part of you. The Holy Spirit is lifting you up at your most vulnerable point. Here's what I'm trying to say. This is good news for weak people. The Holy Spirit is constantly helping us in our weakness by praying to the Father. Here's the second thing you can write down as we consider these two verses together. We are short-sighted, word-deficient people of prayer, but we can pray in the Spirit. We are, let me just lump myself please into this, short-sighted, word-deficient people. When I say short-sighted, I mean we're impulsive prayers. When is it that most people pray here in the West? When is it that most people pray in this room? We pray in crises. Oh man, I just got a terrible phone call from the doctor. I got to pray. 
I'm about to walk into a really important meeting. I'm, I'm about to walk into a job interview. I've, I've, I've got to pray. You know the pinnacle of my prayer life growing up? The night before finals as a high school student and college student. I was, I was Spurgeon, man. I was unbelievable in my prayer life on the night before finals because it was a crisis moment for me. I, I, I didn't study enough. I have a test tomorrow. And so often we're like that. We're so now-oriented, impulsive-oriented. We're so short-sighted often. And then we're word-deficient people as well. We become the biggest word-fumblers in the world when it comes time to pray. I, I just I don't know what to say, God. And so what, what usually happens because we fumble our words, we're deficient in our words, we let our brain go somewhere else while we're praying. And we start doing our to-do list, the what happened yesterday list, what might happen tomorrow list. Because we are short-sighted, word-deficient people of prayer. But here's the good news, because I told you I was going to comfort you today. We can pray in the Spirit. Look at what verse 26 says. We don't know what to pray for. That's what I mean. We're short-sighted. We're, we're word-deficient people, but we can, as the New Testament often tells us, we can pray in the Spirit. Let me show you two of those places on the screen for sake of time. Ephesians 6.18 and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. This is right in the middle of the spiritual warfare chapter of the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests. Jude verse 20, there's just one chapter there. So Jude verse 20, but you, dear friends, build yourself up in the most holy faith and do what? And pray in the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Tell you what I believe it means and what I think theologically it means. It means to pray in belief, to pray believing. Believing what, preacher God? Believing that God hears you, first of all. That's a great place to start prayer in the Spirit. God, as I pray, I'm praying in the Spirit because I know you hear me. You promise to hear me. You're a God who hears. Here's a second thing to believe. Believe that you are a daughter or son of God. If you are a Christian, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? It means that you're praying, believing. Because praying in the Spirit means you're praying in belief. I'm praying in belief, God, that, that you hear me, that you can do this. I'm praying in belief as, as a son or as a daughter. You know, sometimes some of you call me on my cell phone and I press decline. Sorry. But when Caleb Durham, or Jennifer Durham, I promise, babe, Jennifer Durham, or Hannah Backus, my daughter, when they call, accept. You know why? Because that's my daughter, that's my son calling. They've got full access. In the same way, when you pray in the Spirit, you're praying, believing that God hears. You're praying, believing that you're a daughter. You're praying, believing that you're a son. Here's the third thing you're believing. You're believing that the Spirit is interceding for you. We see that word interceding here in verse 26. We'll see it again here just a little bit in verse 27. When you pray in the Spirit, you're praying, believing. You're praying, believing that the Spirit is interceding for you. To intercede means to, to reconcile the differences. To intercede means to, to bring two parties together. Here's the fourth thing you can believe is you're praying in the Spirit. Because praying in the Spirit is praying, believing. Believe that the Spirit is reminding you of what to pray for. Didn't Jesus say that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth and to remind us of what we know, to remind us of what we have learned? So that's what it means, I believe, to pray in the Spirit. It means to, to pray believing that God hears, that you are his, you are a son, you are a daughter, to believe that the Holy Spirit's interceding for you, to believe the Holy Spirit's reminding you what to pray for, to believe that God can do it. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. Let's look at this last verse and we'll... 
wrap this morning up. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Almost sounds like a riddle. Let's read it one more time. And he, meaning God, who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here's the third thing. You can write this down. God knows our hearts and he knows the Spirit's mind. God knows our hearts. That's what it says at the beginning of verse 27. He searches hearts. So even right now, God is searching your heart. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, God is searching your heart. You can fool people all the time. You can fool people even closest to you. You cannot fool God. Why is that? Because he searches all things. He knows your heart. He searches your heart. Right now, he is searching your heart. So wrap your brain around this. God knows us because he searches our hearts. He knows our needs because he searches our hearts. But also, as verse 27 say, he also knows the mind of the Spirit. That is how God is able to understand these groanings of the Spirit. Because he knows the mind of the Spirit. He knows and understands these groanings. Here's what I'm trying to say. God is no stranger to the intent of the Holy Spirit. So let's just consider the triangle. And I'll put you and I down here. And here's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us to the Father. You see, the Father has searched our hearts. He knows what our needs are. He knows what's happening in our lives. He knows our names. He knows our situations. So he is, he is seeing us because he searches all things. But here's the Holy Spirit also seeing our needs and interceding for us to the Father. And the Father can fully understand the Spirit because he understands and knows. What does it say here, verse 27? The Father knows the mind of the Spirit. So it puts us, if I may say so, in a sweet spot. The Father searches our hearts, knows our deepest needs. The Holy Spirit is praying for us. And as the Holy Spirit is praying for us, he's praying to the Father who has already searched our hearts and a Father who understands the groanings, the sighs of the Holy Spirit. Here's the fourth thing and last thing. The Spirit prays perfectly for us. Man, this is good news. The Spirit prays perfectly for us. Look what it says in verse 27, the second portion of it. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will. In other words, the Holy Spirit isn't guessing what we might need. The Holy Spirit isn't guessing what tomorrow might be like. The Holy Spirit isn't guessing what our, our future is going to look like. The Holy Spirit already knows the full will of God. And so as the Holy Spirit is praying for you, interceding for you, he is praying, the Holy Spirit, he is praying a perfect prayer because he's praying according to the will of of God, bringing two parties together, reconciling the differences. You know, sometimes, maybe I might need to move that from sometimes to most of the time. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to pray for our relationships or for our marriages or for our kids. We don't know how to pray for our decisions, our, our lives, our, our future. We don't, we don't know how to pray. But you see, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and prays for us perfectly because he's praying, I'll say it again, according to God's will. <laughs> so just think, in this room, preachers certainly included, just think how many lousy prayers we've prayed. How many subpar, below average prayers we've prayed in our lifetimes. Consider with me how many hastened, quick, running out the door running to a meeting, impulsive prayers that we have prayed. 
think how many times we prayed a prayer, we just kind of tossed it up there and we hope it sticks. Here's, here's, here's my prayer, God. I have no idea if I'm saying this right. I have no idea. So I'm just going to toss it up there and hopefully it sticks in the heavenlies. Or, to be honest with you, and again, let me throw myself in this camp, how many unbiblical prayers we've prayed or untheological prayers we've prayed that have totally missed the will of God. So just think of all those prayers, the lousy ones, the fast ones, the unbiblical ones, the impulsive prayers that we've thrown up. Now catch this, the Holy Spirit steadies all the prayers and writes all those prayers because he is praying according to God's will on our behalf. I told you I was gonna preach a comforting message for you today. That should comfort us until we see Jesus face to face. But the Holy Spirit is praying a perfect prayer for you, even right now, at your most vulnerable, weakest place of life. The Holy Spirit is perfectly praying for you now. Would you stand with me, please, and let's read these two passages together that we have just walked through. From Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. If you would read aloud with me, please. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray. Father, how many lousy, below-average prayers have we prayed? Missing the mark, missing your will, impulsive, self-centered, hasty, what comfort we have today that the Holy Spirit prays a perfect prayer completely in accordance with your will for us. This is a covenant blessing for those who are in Christ Jesus, triply held by Father, Son, Spirit. And the Spirit constantly praying for us in our greatest vulnerabilities, our greatest fragilities, our greatest failings weaknesses because this is true we've got strength for today and hope for tomorrow Lord teach us to pray but thank you that you have given us an advocate who prays perfectly for us every time in Christ we believe in Christ we pray in Christ we sing 